Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome to another off-season edition of Fantasy Football Today DFS. I am your host, Sia Najad, and I am here with, well, he might look familiar to you. It's TJ Hernandez. You can find on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. You can find him also at 444Football at BetSports. Uh, We'll talk about all the stuff he's doing for those outfits soon. But TJ, how are you? Uh, I'm doing great, Sia. Thanks for having me again. Uh, I'm excited for DFS. DraftKings launched uh, salaries last week. So while the the normal person is just getting ready for their redraft season, I'm already turning the page from best ball and redraft to DFS focus over here. So uh, best time of year for me. And he really is turning that page because TJ Hernandez authored an article on the week one DFS slate for the NFL uh, three or four days ago. Actually, I think right yeah. TJ was right when it came out, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the, the big caveat of this whole conversation should be like when I'm looking at this salary release, we're looking at some of the highest level stuff. And really, it's fun, right? Because we haven't even had the Hall of Fame game yet. We have three weeks of preseason games after that. So much is going to change from now until week one, um, the, especially those nuanced plays. But I mean, there's still some some of the higher level stuff, the, the big games that are expected to be the highest scoring games. I think there's still some uh, some worthy takes we can get out of this first look. Yeah, and you know what? We're, you know, it does seem early, right? But you're right. We're not normal, and this is really fun <laughs> to speculate about. So not yeah. only are we going to touch on some of the players we like for the Week One DFS slate, but we're here also to talk to you about maybe some some alternative slates to play. Like I'm, you know, yeah, we, yeah. we talked about this in the past in our offseason series about maybe maybe if you want to play certain games, maybe you play them in the afternoon slate only or the one o'clock yeah. Eastern Standard Time slate only. So there's going to be some sort of game theory that we're going to talk about, some some slate selection that we're going to talk about among some of the players we're going to talk about and I'll, I'll tell you right now tj we're just going to go position by position and I, I want to talk about some of the values i want to talk about some of the big ticket guys i want to talk about some of the chalk i want to do all that stuff i do want to touch on the fact that you know some big news has occurred over the last 24 yeah. hours we heard that the uh, independent arbiter uh, decided that Deshaun Watson was going to be suspended for six games. Now, fast forward to about two hours ago, Roger Goodell and the NFL are appealing that decision. It sounds like they are looking for at least a one-year suspension. So we're just going to have to wait and see on that. Uh, most of you that are listening know that I am an attorney. So I always kind of look at things from a, a legal standpoint, TJ. And you know, one of the things that I think is interesting is that in the last collective bargaining agreement, you had the NFL and the NFLPA agreed to this independent arbiter yeah. in cases like this. And what ended up happening here is the independent arbiter came up with a decision and then Roger Goodell and I'm sure a lot of the people in the NFL office didn't like that decision. So there is in the collective bargaining agreement, there is a catch-all where Roger Goodell can ha- or ultimately assumes ultimate authority. I think the NFLPA is going to have a really big problem with that for kind of mm-hmm. obvious reasons that, that really sh- don't have much to do with the Deshaun Watson case as much as they do with the, the legal parameters around having an independent arbiter and then having that independent arbiter's uh, conclusions 
eviscerated, uh, for lack of a better way to say it. So I think we're unfortunately in for a big fight with the NFLPA and the NFL, and I think this is going to get um, drawn out. So I, I think we all need to kind of buckle up for that. Yeah, um, I mean, from the, it's, I, I guess, just from a optics perspective, it's a pretty bad look that they uh, mm -hmm. they have this new collective bargaining agreement, and Goodell's kind of just saying, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about that. I mean, from from what we're doing and focusing on, I mean, whether it be redraft or DFS, I mean, I, I guess in your in your typical like redraft leagues, the, he's just off your board. Watson is like, even if he is going to be useful, he's probably just going to be like a waiver wire pickup or something, except for, for the deepest of leagues. There is for, for the scope of this conversation, it will be, it will have some impact on the slate potentially with Jacoby percent probably likely starting week one, no matter what happens here. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, those, bottom barrel salary quarterbacks Jacoby Brissett down to 5200 I think that could be a, an interesting talking point uh if we get to you know September 1st and and we're very confident that Watson isn't playing which I th I think at the very least we we know that that six games is probably going to hold up yeah six games is is most certainly going to hold up and it's funny that you bring up Jacoby Brissett because one thing I noticed and we can actually pull up the the quarterbacks now and kind of go through them tier by tier but one thing I noticed when I looked at this at first when I looked at the quarterback specifically TJ is that Colt McCoy is 5200 and Daniel Jones Zach Wilson yeah. and Mitch Trubisky are less expensive yeah. than the backup Colt McCoy uh what are yeah. your thoughts on that uh, I think the one that's interesting to me um, is that Daniel Jones one um, against Tennessee. I mean, the the big thing with the Bills is they have Brian Dayball now, who obviously helped develop Josh Allen in Buffalo. And what Daniel Jones does have, similar to Josh Allen, uh, probably not the throwing skills, but he does have that rushing ability. And like uh, myself and John Daigle, a co-host of DFS, DFS MVP, talked about yesterday, is that what Brian Dable was very good at doing with Josh Allen was implementing designed runs, not scrambles, but designed runs. And I don't know that Daniel Jones has been able to maximize that in his time with New York. They've kind of been hamstrung by play caller since he's been there. Uh, but I, I do think, again, if we're looking at the, the bottom of the barrel, cheap quarterbacks, which we've kind of got away from in recent years on DraftKings because the, the good elite dual threat quarterbacks have such a big advantage over the field that uh, someone like Daniel Jones that might get you points just on rushing alone um, is going to do it. But uh, if we don't get the typical free square that we tend to get when salaries come out this early, whether it be because of a injury to a starter or just a surprise um, uh, depth chart battle, so someone that's priced really cheap right now becoming a starter, uh, we might need to use some of that salary savings. So Daniel Jones is going to be interesting. And like you said, he's priced below backups right now, which is uh, pretty crazy. It is very, very crazy. And I think it's a really good point bringing up about Brian Dable and the manner in which Daniel Jones perhaps was hamstrung, not just by play calling, but let's be honest, by play selecting, yeah. uh, player selecting too. And I'm talking about the <laughs> yeah. GM, of course, Dave Gettleman. Uh, with all that said, you know, in training camp, it hasn't looked particularly bright for Daniel Jones so far, but we're still really early. So let's go to the top of the board here, TJ. Yeah. There's a lot of guys here that I think, and if you're watching us on YouTube, by the way, or if you're listening to the podcast now, you can also watch us on YouTube because we have all the quarterbacks pulled up right now. We have Frank Stample producing this show, and he's clicking on each quarterback that we're, we're talking about and just doing an amazing job producing this show. Now, let's let's just start at the top. We have Pat Mahomes. We have Justin Herbert. They're, they're the highest-priced guys. 
And they are in potentially what looks to be shootout games. Patrick Mahomes mm-hmm. is in a 53-point total game. Justin Herbert against the Raiders is in a 52-point total game. Virtually the same. I think both of these guys are going to be popular. The, the quarterbacks they're going against, of course, Kyler Murray, and then down the way a little bit, Derek Carr, who's 5,900. I know that these two games are going to be chalky. I want to get your opinion here. If you're playing the main slate, are you playing any stacks here? I would imagine the answer is yes, but then again, a lot of people are playing the stacks. How are you looking at those two games specifically? Yeah, so, I mean, one thing that you mentioned is we already have uh, lines out for these games, week one lines. So those, unless there's some major injury, specifically to quarterbacks, that's why I said the high-level stuff, we could pretty get a pretty good idea of what we're going to be doing in week one. And that's really these quarterbacks here. Um, So I I think it'll come down to how we end up uh, seeing ownership projections. I would guess that ownership projections are going to, between these two games, are going to slant heavily towards that Casey Arizona game, just because Arizona is going to be super intriguing, even though we got that Hollywood Brown, um, he got arrested today for uh, for speeding. Um, that, That game should probably draw a little more interest. So my guess is that the Chargers Raiders games will come uh, a little bit with uh, with slightly lower ownership projections in that game. And there's going to be pretty big value. I would guess on the Raiders side of it, if I if I had to guess four weeks out, uh, just because I think there's a lot of ambiguity in the Raiders, the name value of Derek Carr doesn't match up with Mahomes, Herbert, and Murray. But as you mentioned, three of the top four priced quarterbacks on the slate are from those games. And then you get Derek Carr all the way at sub 6,000. So I'm going to be really interested to see how I end up projecting ownership for that game. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be trepidatious about who to pair Derek Carr up with. Obviously, Devontae will be the the guy that stands out, but you'll have Waller, Renfro in there too. Um, the, the great thing about, and this is tournament specific, I know I talked about Daniel Jones' rushing ability. In DraftKings tournaments, the a player like Derek Carr in a game like this can kind of offset the upside of a rushing quarterback because of that 300-yard bonus. It's only three points, but for a guy that doesn't rush at all like Carr, those extra three points can be very valuable. So I, I think he's going to be super interesting for me. Um, I mean, those games are going to be really popular. One thing that I've, I've kind of looked at this every year, I would say going back, I don't know, five or six years, the one time Vegas does have a little bit of a gap in terms of their accuracy is very, very early in the season, particularly the first one or two weeks of the season. We see those second tier of games in terms of over under or implied totals actually match like the highest tier. So the NFL, even, even Vegas needs like a second to adjust, um, adjust how accurate there are. So, I usually like to go heavy on these like second tier of games. So if you're looking at if we're looking at over unders, um, the the second tier would be the games like the the Green Bay Minnesota game, the mm-hmm. the Philly Detroit game. Those games are going to be way under owned because their over unders are going to be a little bit lower. But uh, those games typically are really good ones to attack early in the year. Yeah, actually, those are two of my favorite games. I think I might, if I'm talking about the main slate, and we'll get to maybe some strategy with the afternoon slate, because that's where a lot of these big ticket games are. In fact, the three that we just mentioned, uh, let's see, KC, Arizona, uh, Green Bay, Minnesota, and Las Vegas versus uh, the Chargers. Those are all 425 Mm -hmm. games, FYI. So if for whatever reason you're not comfortable with those games, you you, you could play the one o'clock slate and try to get sort of different uh, just by maybe playing, you know, one of the the lesser total games. But I I totally agree with you, TJ, on that. Uh, With that said, I I like both of the sort of like semi-contrarian games. And I don't know that they're fully contrarian. That's why I said it like that. But if if you're talking about the Eagles game specifically, that's a one o'clock game. 
how would you go about stacking that game up? Um, I, I think the one thing that I really like to do early in uh, DFS every single year is really target players that it, I've been drafting best ball since the NFL draft, since best ball teams launched. So by doing that and by guys like us that are paying attention all year compared to uh, DFS players that are just getting into it a couple of days before the season, we are very like calibrated on players that we think are going to, to break out or at least have our, our very strong opinions. And if those players are typically cheap in redraft, that means in week one, they're going to have uh, relatively low salaries. I like targeting those guys very early in the year. So the guy you have pulled up right now, Jalen Hurts, is one of my top. And I guess he's not technically a breakout candidate because he was a top 10 quarterback last year in term in fantasy points, but he has like QB1 overall upside and the public isn't going to be on that in week one. So with Jalen Hurts, I mean, there's uh, there's going to be a lot of question marks about how the target share is going to play out, how um, he's going to use... Devontae Smith and AJ Brown and then obviously Dallas Goddard so I'm going to like Hurts and I'm going to look at ownership projections and in that ambiguous situation you could say this for quite a few teams the Chiefs or another one who comes in who's going to start and who's going to come in lowest owned um, and that's really how I'm going to think about it yeah I love that as we go down the board here um, you mentioned that Green Bay Minnesota game. I, I think the side, and I'm guessing you agree with this. I think the side that I want here is a stack with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson, and then mm-hmm. you know perhaps you bring it back with an Alan Lazard or a Randall Cobb or maybe an Aaron Jones, for example. Yeah. Is that how you're sizing up that game as well? If you if you go there for a stack, uh, I I think so. Um, I don't know how that that top end of pass catchers um, will play out. One thing that I do like to do, and I I think because of what we talked about, because I think people will probably try to roster like Travis Kelsey types in the expensive game. Uh, Mike Williams and and, and Keenan Allen aren't quite up in that top tier, but if we have top tier wide receivers in terms of salary, those guys have as much upside as any player priced around them and when you could get them at very low ownerships it's just one of the um it's one of the biggest leverage opportunities in dfs because with wide receivers or pass catchers specifically they're just not getting a lot of opportunities relative to like a running back right so even if a um a Devonte adams is projected better than justin jefferson that projection is based on what six seven you know maybe eight touches a game on on 10 or 11 targets so if you're getting a huge ownership discount on someone like a justin jefferson i'm definitely going to be targeting that um and then you mentioned the green bay side i mean that's another one where there's going to be a ton of ambiguity we don't know what they're going to be doing and i think bringing it back with um bringing it back with a running back not just in this game but in general pass catching stack bringing it back with running back on the other team is a is a one um one of the stacks i like to target a ton in dfs i like that on the quarterback and by the way if you're watching us on youtube uh frank just actually did a, a kirk cousins justin jefferson bring it back with alan lazard stack it left uh five thousand on the table for your rest of your lineup not not a ton of money to to play around with but given the value that we know we're going to have week one five thousand is actually quite a bit we already have value we'll talk about it like guys like Mm -hmm. Kadarius tony or 4100 if you want to play randall cobb instead of lazard i think he's 3400 as opposed to the 5600 that lazard is so um there's there's going to be so much value that is created over the next three weeks because of position battles and because of injuries uh you probably don't need to worry about only having after stacking three or four guys only having you know 4800 or 5000 left um, 
TJ, with that said, any other quarterbacks on this slate? We've gone to Kirk Cousins. He's 6,100. We're scrolling down. We see Derek Carr. We've talked about him. Any other guys you're willing to speculate on? I see Trevor Lawrence is at Washington, Justin Fields at Chicago. We have Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Not a lot of super sexy names. Ryan Tannehill, of course, is at home against those Giants. Davis Mills. Anybody that intrigues you at all? Yeah, I mentioned uh, Jalen Hurts and, and targeting these these breakout players before their salaries rise. Um, Trey Lance against Chicago in week one. He's priced down at 6K. He's going to offer a, a ton of rushing upside. I'm going to like, I'm, I'm probably going to, he's probably going to be, again, this is four weeks out. I would guess he is like the cash game quarterback choice um, of the week. It, just because of his salary and because of what he's going to offer on the ground. And then another one that is not going to be sexy at all, but I think could be end up being one of the craziest leverage plays of the week is Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan down at 5,500. As of now, the Colts are the biggest favorite going into week one. Jonathan Taylor will probably draw crazy high ownership because of that huge, uh, that huge spread there. And Matt Ryan is one of three quarterbacks on a team with an implied point total above 24 points that is priced below $6,000. So if if that logic remains in week one and JT doesn't end up being super popular, Matt Ryan could offer a lot of leverage in tournaments in week one. And I'll just point out that Paris Campbell's only 3,300. I know yeah. Michael Pittman is the, is the receiver of choice there, but Paris Campbell, uh, very talented, very fast, and having a nice training camp. So uh, I'll point that out for everybody. All right, so I think we're ready to maybe leave quarterbacks now. Let's transition, yeah. TJ, to the running back position. Of course, we have Jonathan Taylor at the top. He's 9,100. Derrick Henry is second, which is interesting because that means – CMC, Christian McCaffrey, is third at an 8,500 price tag. Austin Eckler in that uh, potential shootout game against a bad defense. He's only 8,200. And then you got Dalvin, Kamara. We don't know what Kamara's situation is. But that's certainly like those first four guys, first four, yeah, four, maybe five are the top tier. Who intrigues you there? Uh, If we're talking about the top tier, I mean, it has to be Christian McCaffrey for the sole reason that we – it's pretty tough to – look at salaries and from a nuanced perspective from an outsider guy that doesn't make the salaries say oh this guy is a $8,500 guy or this guy's a $9,000 guy we kind of look at it relative to the other players at the position but with Christian McCaffrey we have a very big sample size of Christian McCaffrey at peak performance and of his salary when he's at that peak performance on DraftKings. When he's right, he's a $10,000 player. That's the only way that DraftKings can make it so he isn't just an auto-click. So assuming full health, assuming he is right, he is like the auto-click at running back. And again, we're going to get so many value, assuming it's been like every other year, whether it be at running back wide receiver at tight end, there's just going to be these crazy sub 5,000 values that pop up, whether it be injury or uh, surprise depth chart uh, winners. So when you get CMC at 8,500, that's just that's a huge discount on what he should be priced at. That's like, what, 20, 20% below what he's usually priced at when he's right. So do we know he's going to be CMC that he's been at his peak? Maybe not, but this also might be the cheapest you get him all year. Yeah, and just for so everybody's aware, I, I just put McCaffrey in a lineup with Justin Herbert and Mike Williams. So I'm, I'm basically just imagining myself taking a piece of one of those two high total games at 425, and then I'm putting McCaffrey in the lineup. I took a discount Washington football team defense, and then I mm-hmm. took Irv Smith at 3,400. I just threw Irv Smith in. There's a lot of tight yeah. ends that are in that 3 to 4K range that, range that are fine. That left me with 5,350. 
So if you if you flirt with some of the value that we know we're going to have, or you throw like Kadarius Tony in there at 4100, all of a sudden you know you can probably jam in another like you can bring you can have a nice bring back in that in that Vegas Chargers game, or you can jam in another stud most likely. So it does eat up a lot. Listen, if you want that top those top tier games, and you want to stack it with one of those top tier quarterbacks, it does eat up a lot of salary unless you're playing Derek Carr. So you have to keep that in mind. You're only going to be able to stack so many studs. But McCaffrey is absolutely playable with an elite stack as well. And by the way, that same logic would be true for Jonathan Taylor, who's 500 yeah, more. Absolutely. Um, with that said, okay, so let's go down to the running back position and let's go mm-hmm. below some of that, like that top tier. So we have, yeah. you know, let's go down to Saquon Barkley, who's 6,100, or we can even go down to uh, David Montgomery at 6,000. Uh, anybody you like in that sort of 6,000 to 7,000 range? Uh, I think the one that stands out for me is the guy we already mentioned, um, Aaron Jones at 6,700. That game's just going to be um, super juicy. I mean, he's priced around guys like like Nick Chubb and Najee Harris are, are priced similarly to him, but he's only, what, $400 more than Josh Jacobs, who we don't even know like what kind of role it's going to be there. He's only $500 more than backup Alexander Madison in the same game as him. So the guy that just jumps off the screen to me in that price range uh, is Aaron Jones. And then DeAndre Swift right next to him is pretty interesting too just because i think that is going to be a pretty intriguing game and we've deandre swift is like the new alvin Kamara, i think so he's exciting as well absolutely all right so let's go to some value let's go to that 5k Mm -hmm. range we have mark ingram at the top who's obviously very interesting given that we don't know we're not sure if Kamara is going to play week one let me ask you this if Kamara doesn't play week one and for those of you that don't know he has uh, some uh, assaults, some battery issues that he's dealing with. Uh, uh, anyway, we'll get, we, we talked about that in, in previous podcasts. But uh, Mark Ingram, would he be a value there at 5,900 at Atlanta? Seems like it. I, I would guess if, if Alvin Kamara is out, I would guess that he would project Mark Ingram, which project is like a top three value on four for four. The, the way we do our value on four for four, it's not just like um, points per dollar, but I knowing our system very well, it would probably be JT CMC and the Ingram would probably be right in there as a top three value. Absolutely. Okay. Anybody else in that 5k range that you deem a value? Yeah. Uh, this is where we, it starts to get tricky and where it's really, this is where it's tough to look at these things a month early because these fringe RB ones, possible RB twos, um, uh, running back by committee. They, that's how all these guys are, are kind of priced together. So right now I just looked at what running backs are likely to be starters in week one and are on teams that should be in favorable situations. So a couple that stand out to me, um, Antonio Gibson, Washington is, is I think a four point favorite in week one. He's sub six K JK Dobbins is like trying to get on the field and be ready for week one. If he's healthy week one at 5,600, that's going to be um, a pretty hard one to avoid. Uh, a guy that has fallen out of favor with the fantasy community, Clyde Edwards Hilaire at 5,400. He should be the RB1 in a game where everybody's probably going to be looking at those passing offenses. Mm. Um, we already talked about the Eagles game. Miles Sanders had a, a small dip in uh, his, um, his value when he got a, a one-day report of him running with the twos, but then they came out and said, no, he's our guy. He's at 5,400, and then at the same price, Elijah Mitchell at 5,400. Um, he's in a smash spot against the Bears there. The 49ers are going to be um, 
I think they're six point favorites right now. And again, I, I mentioned, I think there's a chance that Trey Lance is like the cash game guy. And oftentimes that will translate over into tournament ownership percentages. So Elijah Mitchell could end up being a pretty big leverage play week one off of his quarterback if Trey Lance catches some steam. And do you think Elijah would be a reasonable cash game play at 5,400? That's a tough one. Um, you're... It, it depends on what kind of values open up. If what, what injuries come up with, like surprise 4K guys pop, um, he would be, he would probably be like on the fringe of that, like of that comfortable cash game play RB3. If you're trying to say like jam a, a CMC and a Jonathan Taylor together in a cash game and you want a third running back in your flex. I, I don't know if he's the late. You should put the late guys in your flex. But uh, yeah, he he would probably be the kind of guy you want to make that work. Okay. So anybody in the... Because I know you, you wrote the article a few days ago. Was there anybody in the no. 4K range that caught your eye? Um, nobody popped yet. Um, I didn't... I'll I, tell you, I, when, I, when I looked at it, nobody really popped for me either obviously yeah. you know we're, we're a month out but i was just curious if because when i noticed like Kadarius tony at 4100 is there something comparable in the 4k range here and at running back i mean i i think we would need a we would need like a a very clear camp battle to clear up or a very big injury like i guess maybe like a damian pierce if he comes away as the clear rb1 in houston but he's going to be playing as a big underdog um all of these guys would be like running back by committee tournament plays. Um, maybe if any of the news about Miles Sanders not being the obvious RB1, like if Kenneth Gainwell get is, they're saying he's going to mix in on like 50% of snaps or something, maybe. But I, I mean, I think we probably need an injury for anybody here to, to really pop. And I'll tell you, I think the Miles Sanders play is really interesting in tournaments because to the extent people are going to want to play that game, they're probably going to want to play Jalen Hurts, possibly naked, but but obviously possibly with Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown or mm-hmm. even Dallas Goddard. If you just get a piece of that game with Miles Sanders, maybe maybe you bring it back. You don't have to. Or you bring it back with DeAndre Swift or Amon Ross St. Brown. And those are the pieces that go off. And you, you got you know, whoever played that game playing the passing game or, or just the, the flat-out quarterback, I think you're in a pretty good spot there. So I think monitoring the Miles Sanders situation through training camp and preseason uh, should offer some value, at least for week one. Speaking of Absolutely. value, we're going to go to the receiver position, TJ, but first we're going to hear a word from our partners. And we are back. We are here with TJ Hernandez. He is at TJ Hernandez. You can find him at BetSports. You can find him at 4 for 4 Football. And you're going to find his work uh, on Twitter as well. He's, he's, he's on Twitter and he's putting a lot out there. So make sure you go visit him at TJ Hernandez. Let's talk about the wide receiver position. We got the top guns at the top. We got Devontae Adams, who was in that shootout game. We got Justin Jefferson at home in good conditions against the Green Bay Packers. Debo, Jamar Chase, Keenan Allen in another shootout there. Uh, any of these guys popping for it? We already talked about Justin Jefferson. Is there a scenario where you would play Devontae Adams? Oh man, um, I, he would ha- if he's like sub five percent. If he's even sniffing ten percent ownership, I just don't think I'm paying up for for Devonte with um, with Jefferson. Uh, Jam- Jamar at seventy one is like that seems way too low. That Chargers that the discrepancy in the Chargers salaries is very interesting. Even though Keenan Allen is only four hundred dollars more, like four hundred dollars isn't a a uh, gap to sneeze at. So Mike Williams with those two guys jockeying for the wide receiver one role in 
uh, Los Angeles. Mike Williams at 6,600 is pretty interesting. But yeah, Devontae's priced up over the only pass catcher over 8K. is priced up over uh, all of the quarterbacks. There's only running backs priced higher than him. That's, I mean, again, if if for some reason ownership comes in way high on the Chargers and super low on Devontae, sure. But I just don't think that's going to happen. Is there a scenario where Mike Williams is significantly higher rostered than Keenan Allen because of the perception of Mike Williams being that big play guy? Yeah, it could definitely happen. If that that with that four hundred dollar gap, if there is if it is coming in at like twenty five percent Mike Williams, five percent Keenan Allen, then I would definitely flip my take on that. Yeah, I was just thinking Keenan might end up being somewhat of a leverage play. Okay, as we go down be below Keenan Allen, we have Tyreek Hill, we, Mike Williams, who we talked about, TJ McLaurin, A.J. Brown, Jalen Waddle, Cooks. None of these guys at Marquise Brown in an interesting situation, assuming he's playing week one. Um, you know, Marquise Brown pops to me a little bit here. Obviously, we talked about Mike Williams. Brandon Cooks, certainly in, in, in a yep. negative game script, makes a lot of sense yep. at 6,300. Do you like any of those guys? And is there anybody else you like in this 6K range? Yeah, going back to um, what I talked about, looking for players that we've been very bullish on all offseason and redraft for best ball, and then trying to translate that early in the season. You mentioned the guy that really stands out to me is Brandon Cooks. I mean, he has he should have a, a stranglehold on a good 25% target share. Again, you mentioned what should be a pretty negative game script against uh, against Indianapolis. And then this guy isn't 6,000. He's a little bit below, but kind of a similar profile in terms of should have a huge target share in an offense that people aren't too excited about Darnell Mooney at 5,700. He could be just a target share monster this year, yeah. and they should also be in a negative game script, the Bears against the 49ers. So those two guys stand out to me a lot, kind of in a, in a similar range. Yeah, I was thinking about Darnell Mooney too, and I think the only downside is if, if that San Francisco defense is healthy, and we know how their preseasons go, they lose a guy like every other day in the preseason, unfortunately. But, yeah. I, you know, if, if they're healthy, Justin Fields could have a really bad day, and even in a negative game script, could potentially yeah. be in trouble against that defense. With that said, I, I totally agree with you on Darnell Mooney. I think it's it's a chance worth taking. Um, so I think that's really interesting value at 5,700. As we go down to that 5,000, lower five, we mentioned Hunter Renfro. 5,800, I think he's interesting. Can I ask you this? If you played a Derek Carr stack, it's obviously not necessarily with Devontae Adams. If you played it with Hunter Renfro, would you double stack that? Or would you just play Derek Carr with Hunter Renfro? Derek Carr is the type of quarterback who gives you almost nothing on the ground where um, I'm usually I'm looking to double stack that almost all the time Uh, for for him to pop. He's needs to he needs to go for like 304 basically. Right. So uh, very um, in terms of winning a tournament, it's a lot what we see from Tom Brady on DraftKings. That's how he wins you tournaments, whereas somebody like a a Jalen Hurts or a Trey Lance can get you halfway there on the ground and they only need one guy to go off with them. So, yeah, uh, Derek Carr is definitely a double stack, especially with his with his sub six K salary. You're putting less salary into the offense as a whole. So it just makes it way easier. All right, so let's go to like 5,600 and below. We've got Alan Lazard, who we mentioned as a possible bring back uh, in the uh, Green Bay, Minnesota game. Anybody below that, like uh, in the low 5K range that you're interested in here? Yeah, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, 5,200. It's a super ambiguous pass catching core outside of Travis Kelsey. And I mean, you can make the argument that it really can end up being a, a true four-way battle for who's going to lead those wide receivers in target. So Juju is 
the favor the odds on favorite probably to lead the wide receivers not Travis Kelsey just the wide receivers and targets on the Chiefs at 5200 and really just the Chiefs in general we have the from 5200 price down to Skymore at 3800 if you can just take your stab at those guys, I think it's going to be a really fruitful situation because if people are playing that stack, the Kansas City stack, it's probably going to be Mahomes and Kelsey a lot. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Let me ask you just kind of off the subject a little bit. In terms of your favorite stacks that are not the top two, in terms of the top two point totals, that, that of course is uh, Arizona and the Chiefs and it's the Los Angeles Chargers and the Raiders. What would you say are your favorite two stacks below that? Um, off the top, probably the one we talked about, probably Kirk Cousins and uh, Justin Jefferson. And then it's it's just going to be hard for me not to go ham on the Eagles in week one, like all, all the combos that I could get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Let's go down to this low 5K range. Anybody popping to you here as we scroll, you can find us on YouTube and look, you know, KJ Osborne sort of stands out to me at 4,900. We know the Minnesota Vikings are going to be in 11 personnel more than they ever have been, frankly. And we know that K.J. Osborne's probably going to be one of three receivers on the field. He's 4,900. If you're stacking, again, it's Kirk Cousins, not a running quarterback. If you're stacking that Minnesota game, are you potentially double stacking Kirk Cousins? Yeah, Kirk Cousins is another. Um, you know, he's very much in the... It's actually funny because ever, the the uh, possibility of, of Derek Carr being a fantasy QB one with Devontae, I've kind of been saying all offseason, like his best case scenario is what we've got from Kirk Cousins the last two years. So it's it's very similar. I want to... Those are the type of quarterbacks that I want to be double stacking, the guys that aren't going to give you um, a lot on the ground, especially if if the thumb thing keeps Irv Smith out for I, I, he's expected to be back week one, but if he's limited or not playing week one, that makes KJ um, a crazy play in week one. Um, no one else really in the super low five K's. I mean, mid five with Michael Pittman at 5,500. We already talked about Matt Ryan. That's mm-hmm. super interesting. Um, I mean, new, new toy Christian Kirk at 5,100 for Jacksonville. I, I think Jaguars are just going to be a sneaky offense overall. I don't know if that's a game I will or, or should end up stacking, but uh, the, the unknown, those unknown offices are always pretty fun early in DFS. So let's go to the upper 4K range. We have a lot of interesting candidates in a lot of interesting games. Uh, I'll start with uh, DJ Shark is interesting to me at 4,800. I think we need to monitor how his camp goes. But then, of course, you have Marcus Valdez-Scantling on Kansas City at Arizona. You have McCole Hardman. So we're talking about these receivers that are in that Juju Smith-Schuster game, and we don't really know what's going on week one. It sounds to me like you're you're planting your flag with Juju. Any any reason to believe now that maybe McCole Hardman or one of the other receivers like MBS or even Sky Moore uh, are going to maybe be above Juju week one? I, I mean, you could really make a case for all of them at, at this point. And one of my most drafted players in best ball this year is McCole Hardman. So if the consensus does end up agreeing with me and we end up getting Juju at like 15%, which is high-ish for you know anybody with double-digit ownership in large field tournaments that's pretty high uh i, I mean i think you can make the case that Mecole is the splash guy still a lot of the reason that he may have not seen huge production the last few years with the chiefs is because maybe the chiefs just view him as a 
direct Tyreek Hill replacement. And he is still, he's the only wide receiver on this team that has ever seen a target target from Patrick Mahomes I don't think that should go uh we should just completely ignore that I know it's really easy to hate on, on Mecole because people have expected you know quite a bit out of him in this offense the last couple of years but his production has incrementally grown every year with the team at least in terms terms of targets so um I would not sneeze at Mecole at all it, it's going to make a ton of sense if Juju comes in at like 15 percent yeah, I agree with you. That's an interesting point about really the only receiver, at least among those top four, that have actually caught a pass and, you know, played with Patrick Mahomes, like literally played with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot to be said for that, especially when you're talking about week one of the NFL season. Um, I did mention, uh, let's see, Kadarius Tony. I see Nico Collins here at 4,200. Again, that, that's an interesting game. I know it's Davis Mills at quarterback for Houston, but I think that's an interesting game because they could be in a negative game script. Any chance you take a shot at, at a guy like Nico Collins at 4,200? If if I decide that I start heavily stacking that game, uh, it would it, it makes sense. Like again, if if JT does come in as like a a 30 percent running back or something, it's going to be a really good spot just to leverage off of him uh, in general. But most likely, if I do have a a Colts with the Houston bring back, like. Brandon Cooks just isn't expensive to where I'm just going to scratch him off the board. So I, I think probably Nico would be getting a little too cute for me, and I would just end up having a lot of Cooks. So I do want to skip over to the 3K range because there's a few receivers that I, I kind of like here. Anybody else in the 4K range, though, that, that we missed uh, that you like potentially as value? I just like targeting rookies early in the year because people uh, want to see it before they they pay for it. So Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave stand out to me there just because mm-hmm. nobody I, I just don't think people are going to play them. And I think the Saints are going to be if, if they let Jameis Jameis, they could be really fun. Oh, that's a really. Yeah, the Saints receiving core. If you pick the right one in that Atlanta game, that could be really, really interesting. So absolutely agree with you there. The, the three receivers that I when I was quickly scanning. Josh Palmer, 3,800 home oh, versus the Raiders. I had him highlighted right now. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Uh, and then I'll just, I'll just mention Randall Cobb, and I mentioned already uh, Paris Campbell. Uh, Cobb is 3,400, Campbell's 3,300. Talk to me about Josh Palmer, though. I mean, it's just going to be a um, – it's probably going to be a 1% game and probably the most pop, the, the second most popular game to play. And if the, if the depth chart plays out like we're expecting – Palmer should be on the field, assuming they run quite a bit of three wide receiver. I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the field for 75% of snaps. And even though Mike Williams and and Keenan Allen are are good receivers, and Mike Williams is a good deep threat, neither of those guys are like super fast. And I think Josh Palmer can give them um, a little bit of an extra element to help stretch the field with Mike Williams. So I, I think Josh Palmer at sub 4K in that, especially like he's he's the perfect player in like the millionaire or something. If you're playing higher stakes 200 man fields probably don't need to play a palmer but in a large field tournament palmer is going to make a lot of sense anybody else in that 3k range that you had highlighted or that sticks out to you as value uh i like you you mentioned randall cobb that's interesting um Quez Watkins could be on the field for like 75% of snaps if if they end up uh, rolling out some more three wide receiver this year. He's been he's been getting a lot of praise in camp this year. So if that keeps going, um, I, I guess Philly would have to draw some pretty high ownership for him to make sense. Uh, I don't think AJ or Devontae will be super high owned, but uh, if they are for some reason, Quez could be interesting. 
uh, everything else, I think we're just kind of waiting for camp news. I, di- I didn't have anybody highlighted this low. All of the big values have kind of been in the in the 4K range at first glance for me. Agree with that. And I, you know, there's, there's a couple just kind of random names that pop out yeah. to me if training camp goes well for them. Antoine Wesley, I think, is interesting with how that receiving core is potentially shaking out in Arizona. Marquez Callaway, let's monitor how much attention he's getting in camp uh, and in the yeah. preseason because, uh, you know, Michael Thomas might have a setback. Maybe Olave is not ready week one. So there's, I mean, listen, it's so early, right? There's going to be a lot of value that opens up uh, across the board as each week goes by. But yeah. with that said, I mean, TJ, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say one that that uh, is like it would have to be it's a crazy dart throw. But if Marquise Brown does get suspended for this, this uh, getting arrested, like Antoine Wesley at thirty four hundred might end up starting in week one for Arizona in a shootout game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love I, that would be a, certainly a player I would be um, potentially focused on there. Let's go to tight ends. We start with uh, Mark Andrews at sixty eight hundred. We go down to Travis Kelsey at 6,600. And then there's just a pretty a pretty big drop. We go down to Kittle at 5,900, then Pitts at 5,700. A lot of value opens up, though, once we get to sub-5K. Waller is 5,400, but then we get to Hawkinson at 4,900. Gusecki, Goddard it, it getting towards the uh, low 4K range. Zach Ertz in that shootout game. I would imagine Zach Ertz presents as a, as a pretty big value. Anybody else, uh, Zach Ertz and above, that, that you're intrigued by? Yeah, at tight end in, in, in daily fantasy, especially on DraftKings, I usually take um, a, a pretty standard barbell approach where I'm going all the way up or all the way down. The The mid-salary is kind of a no-man's land, especially on DraftKings where salaries just tend to be so tight. When we can get away from that is probably going to be in week one where we should have some pretty big values open up. So I kind of don't mind middling tight end in week one. And the two guys that do stand out to me are Kyle Pitts and Darren Waller. Kyle Pitts, I mean, from what we saw his rookie year, again, just going back to betting on talent, getting ahead of guys before they really, I mean, he broke out, but could just dominate. Like he has overall Rob Gronkowski type upside Um tight end one upside so if he does play up to his potential he'll be up in that mark andrews travis kelsey salary range uh very very soon so kyle pitts at 5700 just as a standalone play i don't even care about the matchup or the game i just think he could dominate that much this year and then we've already talked about that raiders chargers game um waller is just kind of in a in a weird salary range i think a lot of average dfs players will click on the 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 lobby start building lineups and just see Andrews and Kelsey up there and think if I'm spending that kind of salary on a a tight end above 5k they're just gonna go straight to the top or they might be so intrigued to go low to save some salary because they want to jam in you know whatever superstars from the big games I I think Darren Waller is going to be pretty low owned and and frankly if you look at last year he you know he was he was banged up like he's a guy that I think is going relatively ignored probably in redraft too i'm not looking at adp tj you could probably tell me or in, even in best ball is 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 waller going kind of lower than yeah, you, you he thought he's been slipping into the the fifth or sixth round in uh underdog drafts and then in casual drafts i would, I would guess it's probably right around there like tight end five but still well behind um the the top three tier of uh andrews kelsey and pitt so yeah he, he slipped quite a bit this year yeah, certainly the potential to to smash there. As we get to the 3K range, uh, there's a lot of intriguing guys. I mean, a lot of these are, are little dart throwish, but a lot of them are in really good game scripts and on a really good offense. Gerald mm-hmm. offenses. Gerald Everett really comes to mind uh, at home. 
new home with the Chargers. He is the tight end. Jared Cook is no longer there. Any thoughts on him? And, you know, as we scroll down, we got Cole Komet, uh, who was interesting, Irv Smith, who we mentioned. But let's start with uh, Gerald uh, it's it's going to be likely a very similar play to what we talked about um, with Josh Palmer, just in terms of if if people are targeting that game, they're going to be targeting the big names on that offense. And if I mean, if we're paying down at tight end at all in this range, like we're living for touchdowns, right? We're not expecting him to come out and get ten targets or anything like that. But if the Chargers are moving the ball like we expect them to in that first week, then there's going to be a lot of touchdown equity for Everett. I mean, you could argue he'd probably have more touchdown equity than really anybody in his salary range. Um, Maybe you could make the case that Irv Smith has as much touchdown upside if he does play in week one, but uh, if Irv misses all of camp, it makes it pretty hard to slot him in even if he is healthy in week one. Yeah, and just in case people don't know, Irv Smith did just have surgery on his thumb. And and according to their coach, he is expected to play week one, but we'll have to kind of wait and see. That's something that's always routinely said when you're this far out, but you you never know. Uh, Any other tight ends that that capture your interest here? Uh, The same salary as Irv Smith, Mo Alley-Cox. Again, uh, looking for potential leverage plays. Uh, You know, Matt Ryan after Paris Campbell, I mean, sorry, after uh, Michael Pittman doesn't have a clear number two pass catcher. I know uh, Paris Campbell has been popping a little bit, but if Mo Alley-Cox secures that role, he could be on the field for 80 to 90% of snaps in uh, a spot where his team is, is favored by more than any other team on the week. And, correlation with tight end success to the point spread is a lot bigger than people think people look at past games and obviously look at implied point totals and over unders but tight ends typically benefit when their team is in very very good game script so uh molly cox is a is a fun one i think tj have you looked at defenses yet all i did is look at the point spreads and see who's cheap (laughs) that's it any that any that come to mind, any that stick out. Washington's a four point favorite. Uh, that sub three K, they're they're favored by four at twenty five hundred dollars. After that, the uh, the lowest salary favorites, the Chiefs at three thousand dollars. They're supposed to be in a high scoring game, but uh, favored by three and a half. So. Even in high-scoring games, defenses could score a lot. A lot of times, that means more scoring opportunities. If the, the more times the quarterback drops back, that's where sacks, fumbles, interceptions come from. Uh, and then the Dolphins are also favored at twenty-six hundred. So uh, you know, those are if we're looking to pay down. The favorites are uh, the the favorites in terms of the point spread are Washington, uh, Kansas City, and Miami. So TJ, we just rapid fired through every single position and it's only what, August 3rd, August 4th, yeah. something like that. We are well over a month away and, and with a full understanding that a lot of this can change, but we, we did focus on a lot of the games that I think a lot of people are gonna be focused on. So I, I wanna put that out there because me and TJ just talked it out. There's a lot of people that are going to be sort of centered around the same high total game. So we'll talk about this more on FFT DFS in terms of theory, pivoting, game theory, things of that nature as we get actually closer to week one. But I do think it's fun and kind of important to kind of showcase some of the players that we're both interested in because ultimately some of the some of that might not end up changing so tj i appreciate you coming on to the show and speculating with us this early let me ask you before i let you go where can we find some of your content and and how much of it is going to be dfs related on four for four or at bet sports or any other sites that you're associated with 
Yeah, from from here on out, you will find everything exclusively um, at four four dot com. Whether it be my my articles or DFS MVP podcast, uh, we started the DFS MVP podcast yesterday. We actually did a very similar thing uh, as you and I did today. Went over first look, but from now until the first week of the season, uh, John Daigle and I will be coming with some some higher level theory based stuff. Whether it be uh, game selection, bankroll management, just how to navigate these lobbies, um, h- how to build lineups in in different uh, types of contests and then once we get to week one transitioning to the traditional or our favorite plays and whatnot but yeah everything has pretty much transitioned to dfs for me at this point uh, i'm still obviously hitting the best ball streets pretty hard so you could find a lot of content that i've written throughout the off season on four for four there but uh, it's it's dfs season for me we got hall of fame game tomorrow we'll be in the four for four discord getting all the subscribers ready for preseason dfs uh so that's where you can find everything TJ, that's awesome. And you mentioned bankroll management. You meant, mentioned contest selection. That's a lot of the stuff that we've been doing over the last really couple of months here at FFT DFS. So if, you, if the listeners haven't gone back and listened to some of that game theory stuff, I really do think it's important to listen to it going into the season. And for the record, go ahead and hop over to, to TJ Hernandez and, and watch and listen and read his stuff as well, because it will be super helpful to get the game theory part of it down and the bankroll man- management part of it down going into the season instead of after the season. And then you're like, oh, man, I wish I had listened to that yeah. beforehand. So we got a lot of content out there. Go ahead and listen to it. For now, though, TJ, a big thank you for coming on a second time in the last couple of months. Love your content. Uh, love everything about your work product. And we really appreciate you coming on to FFT DFS. For now, I am Sia Najad. This is FFT DFS. We are going to see you next week. See you later for now.